Welcome to Sausage on a Fork, a podcast dedicated to the UK's longest-running children's drama programme, Strange Hill. My name's Neil, and in each episode, I'll interview a former cast member about their life before, during, and after their time on the programme. So welcome to the next episode of Sausage on a Fork. I am very pleased to say that I've been joined by none other than Peter Morton, who played Wayne Sutcliffe. Peter, welcome to Sausage on a Fork. Hey, thanks for having me, Neil. You're very, very welcome. Very welcome. Okay, so what we'll do, Peter, is we, we can cast your mind right back, and I mean way back, before Grangeville. How did you get into acting? How did that start for you? How did I get into acting? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's by accident, actually. my um, I, I had a lot of energy as a kid, uh-huh. and... Um, a neighbor friend of ours, her, her kid was, was already doing a bit of acting. And oh, I right. think what, I, I ended up going along to an audition with them. Uh-huh. And, um, I got called in at the same time. Um, oh, right. <laughs> it, it was purely accidental. And uh, yeah, from that, I, I booked a couple of commercials. I did a commercial for British beef um, <laughs> and French cheese, which was only shown in France. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of continued and I'd always seemed to be able to book um, whatever job I was going up for. Uh-huh. I did a, a show for the BBC called Sam's Duck in which I played Sam. Right. And, and that was a story written by Michael Morpurgo, who uh, had also written um, War Horse yeah. and Why the Whales Came. So I actually got to go and spend time with him on his farm. Wow. Um, and that was quite a, an amazing shoot. I think we were, I was away from my family for like a couple of weeks there shooting uh-huh. that. Um, and yeah, I just seemed to have that, like that golden touch to, yeah. with, when it, with regards to booking stuff. So yeah, I did uh, that and I did a show called D-Mob with Griffiths Jones and Martin Clunes. Uh-huh. Um, I did uh, a, a feature film called The Power of One, um, which uh, starred Morgan Freeman and Steve Dorff. And I was, I was only doing kind of like background work on that, but I got yeah. to work on set with um, John G. Avelston, who directed Rocky and the Karate Kid, you know, right. two of my most yeah. favorite films. So, yeah, I had a lot of experience before um, I, I came to audition for Grange Hill. So just, just, just on the power of one then, did you go to um, Zimbabwe, isn't it? Or Africa, isn't so, it? So, yeah, the movie was um, all set in uh, South Africa. Right. Um and it's a, it's a boxing film actually, um, yeah. based on a on a quite a famous uh, book. Um, but they shot a lot of uh, the uh, studio stuff in England. Ah, oh, right, uh, okay. Pinewood, and yeah, we were at like a, a boarding school in, gosh, I think it was Essex or something. It was somewhere uh-huh. strange. Um, and yeah, we did we did a lot of that stuff there. So, were you in a stage school or anything like that? Yeah, so initially I was at um, a Red Roofs Theatre School. Right. Um, Red Roofs, like uh, Kate Winslet went there and Chris Marshall. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a fantastic um, stage school for, for young performers. Um, and I, my first audition for Grange Hill actually was with Red Roofs, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I auditioned a number of times for Grange Hill and, and this was like the, the golden the golden goose egg right. um, for me because yeah. I was obsessed with Grange Hill as a kid. Right. You know, I watched it um, growing up, you know, particularly in the eighties. I remember, you know, being profoundly affected by the death of Danny Kendall. Right. And, you yeah. know, that that was my era. So for me, Grange Hill was like the peers to resistance of, you know, yeah. acting as a kid. Yeah. Um, so when I initially got on an audition for it, I was over the moon. Uh-huh. And, um, I got a call back for the role of Sam. Oh, yeah. And I remember being at a white city um, oh. at the rehearsal rooms there. They had a massive group of us and uh, Kevin Bishop mm-hmm. was also there. Yeah. And I remember very distinctly, and I've spoken to Kevin about this since I don't think he remembers it, <laughs> but I remember he said a line that everyone else who was performing the line, including me, um had kind of made a big thing out of uh-huh. and the, the line was uh i think it was to to jenny long to anna actually and it was uh-huh. so so who are you working for oxfam 
And I remember all these other actors were doing it, including me, like, so who are you working for? Oxfam? Kind of taunting yeah. um, uh, Jenny. And Kevin Bishop came in and he threw that line away and everybody kind of stopped and took notice. And, yeah. you know, I, I could tell there and then I was like, he's, he's, he's got this, you know, because yeah. he's done something no one else has. And yeah. um, I was devastated because right. I was like, it was the first time I'd not booked a gig. Yeah. And, you know, this was everything to me. I wanted to be on Grain Shield so bad. Uh -huh. So I remember going back from that particular casting and I was just, you know, in pieces. Yeah. The follow the following year they brought me back to read for uh Kevin, um for right. George George yeah. Stark's part. And um didn't get that either. Uh and <laughs> and then a couple of weeks after that I got a call saying, Oh, we'd like to see Peter for a one-on-one -on -one, um at White City again um for the part of Wayne. And initially I think Wayne was only written for one block of episodes. Race, okay. So yeah, Grainchild, I don't know if, if um, others have told you this, but yeah, it would be 20 episodes in a series and we'd shoot them in blocks. Yeah. So there'd be blocks one, two, three, four, and five. And um, yeah, he was only meant to be in the first four episodes, I think. Right. Um, so I went there and met the director, who was Nigel Douglas, and uh -huh. we chat and I read the script. And then a couple of nights later, my, my agent, I had since then changed agent, Right. And I was now with Jackie Palmer, who, um, you know, Charlie, Charlie Parker Swift with Jackie was with Jackie Palmer at the time. So it was right. Colin Ridgewell and James Corden actually as well. All right. Um, yeah. So she called my, my mom and told me, uh, told my mom that I, I, they wanted me for it, but my mom was really, she didn't want me to do Grand Show. All right. She, she knew that it was a, it was going to be, you know, taking me out of school and, uh -huh. She wanted me to focus on my education, but um, she also knew how badly I wanted it. So yeah. there, there was a compromise there. And yeah, ended up booking it. And uh, the, the rest is kind of history, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you were saying there about um, you were only supposed to be in for a few episodes because I did notice that. It was Series 18 was your first one. And you, Wayne was missing for a big chunk of Series 18. And I don't know about you, but it just seemed a little bit strange because he came in like he came in like a blaze, didn't he? And he came in and he was just battering everyone and and picking on people, and then all of a sudden he wasn't there. <laughs> and and he so he came back later on. You know, he was bullying Kevin and he was bullying Poppy from early early days, and then all of a sudden he wasn't there until the sleepover at the. Um, the science museum, wasn't oh, yeah, it? Yeah. You know what I mean? I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I just ask though, what was it like joining the show with an established cast and, and you'd been watching it from home? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was super exciting. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, seeing people like Stuart Organ and um, Lee Corns yeah. in the flesh. You know, um, yeah. after watching them for so many years, I'm, yeah, I was so excited. Um, I, I remember that that first first four episodes, I wasn't even sure if they were going to bring me back. Right. And I had in that time filming those episodes in that first block, uh, I was quite close with Colin Ridgewell because uh -huh. he was at, at my real school anyway. He was two oh, years right, yeah. at real school, so we all share a taxi together, and. Um, there was a guy there called Roger, Roger Scoose, who um, he, he worked in the art department and he had recently suffered a fire and he had managed to get all of his VHS tapes replaced uh, through insurance. Right. Now, all, all the ones that weren't actually too badly damaged, he gave to us. Right. Um, like the, the cinephiles in, in the group, the guys who love movies. And I was like a massive uh, VHS collector at that point. And um, I remember being devastated because I wasn't there for block two when he was handing out all these. Oh, no. <laughs> so I missed out on the original star Wars trilogy, which he gave to Colin. Um, but no, he was generous. He did save me a few, um, a few of them. So, yeah. but uh yeah, I remember like the, the rehearsal. It was always such a great time, Grangel, because we, you know, we'd rehearse. We'd have a big read through of the the four episodes, the block, uh -huh. and then we'd go in and we'd rehearse it. And 
yeah just seeing these like people that i'd been watching you know um the previous you know i guess eight or nine years yeah and, and yeah just being face to face with them but being a part of it as well you know knowing yeah. that i'd landed that was it was very exciting Brilliant, and, and you've mentioned there about Colin, but was there anyone else who you were sort of really close to on the show? Um, I mean, everyone. What what ends up happening when on your, when you're on any sort of um, film set, you you do develop close relationships with uh-huh. people, partly because you're, I guess, like faking emotions. You know, you're going right. through these kind of traumatic things together, uh-huh. um, and yeah you end up really developing close bonds with people so um a lot of them i'm still in contact with today i mean george stark for instance he, he lives out here in los angeles all right um i haven't seen him in a minute but no he's he, he's a journalist now yeah. and uh, he doesn't live far away from me uh emma willis uh-huh. who played vicky mead you know, yeah. we're incredibly close to her and her husband and their little girl she's uh-huh. just about to have a little girl actually all right. she's a bit of a She's an influencer now on Instagram. Oh, right. Okay. So if you check her out, she's she's the real deal. She does a lot of um, makeup work with, um, you know, the Kardashians and, and all that sort of uh-huh. thing. So um, we're, we're very close. And then obviously, like Aiden, Aiden J. David is probably my my closest uh, friend right. from the cast. You know, we've uh, yeah. done a lot of work together over the years, collaborated on a lot of things, uh-huh. like from music to uh, uh short movies and the writing and stuff yeah um so yeah really you know blessed to have uh i guess such a great group of uh people to uh, yeah. you know grow up around yeah no i love that i, I love the fact that you are in, in touch with them all still so it just go just going back then so you've joined grange hill and then you you don't know if if you're going to be coming back but then you do you sort of wayne and kevin who you know, you'd been bullying, sort of become a bit friendlier towards each other. You know, Wayne still had that bit of a nasty streak. And there was a, there was a scene in your first series towards the end where Wayne had to eat a maggot sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is just me being, you know, it might be me being a bit stupid, but how genuine was that maggot sandwich? Uh, it was a genuine maggot sandwich for the close-up of the maggots right. that we were all like pouring out. Um, and then I was eating prawns. There was a prawn sandwich, and I'm not a big prawn guy, so yeah, right. wasn't the wasn't the most tasty of. <laughs> Weirdly, I had to eat a few um, funny sandwiches in in Grange Hill. I remember yeah. later on when um, I was doing the storyline with uh, my brother, who was played by Eddie Marsden. Yeah. Um, they they had me a fish finger and crisp sandwich nice. uh, with pudding <laughs> can. I remember the bread was really chunky, and actually that was surprisingly tasty. I was like, oh, I could I could visit <laughs> oh, and revisit this. Yeah. So was there anyone that you sort of really enjoyed working with? Um, yeah, I mean, so Laura Stella was just you know a, uh, an incredible actress. Yeah. Um, and just a delight to be around. Yeah. As a person, you know, she had this remarkable ability to um, make people fall in love with her. Yeah. And I absolutely 100% loved her and being around her and working with her. Uh-huh. And it's strange because she came in, I think, on uh, my second year. Uh-huh. And she was already established, you know, as an actress. She was right. a silver young. She just done a movie with Julie Walters called uh-huh. uh, Intimate Relations. And so she was kind of like a rising star. And I think Green Hill were, you know, to be able to have her. Yeah. Um, so in that first year, we didn't interact too much because we had kind of separate storylines going uh-huh. on. But at the end of that year, they they brought us in for like, um, um, yeah, kind of like a, a, a rehearsal to see how we interact with each other. Yeah. Um, to to give ideas, kind of like a spitballing thing, you know, to, to yeah. see for the following year who whom they might be able to pair up. Uh-huh. And I remember Laura doing, you know, she was kind of coming on to me a little bit in yeah. in the in these uh, improvisations. Yeah, and I, I remember thinking that well, she's she's playing this very confident. So Wayne has to be a little bit, you know, kind of like taken aback and and not confident. You know, he's not. Yeah not had this sort of interaction before and i think the producers saw that and they thought 
the connection between us and they were like well let's let's do something from all these guys yeah so then the following year he had probably my you know the best storyline yeah in the, the entire time that worked on the show can i just ask could you tell at that age just how good laura was yeah, I, it's it's really difficult to yeah because when you're that age and being the position we were in well we were like there was a lot of ego you know right. i guess kids are we were confident you know yeah um i don't it's only in retrospect i think that i look back on that time and this the work i did with laura i realized that she was actually teaching me a lot about acting right and being subtle you know not being too over the top yeah because the camera sees absolutely everything yeah so i i knew that she was very very good at what she was doing but uh-huh. i don't think i really appreciated how good because i was kind of in my own zone as well yeah you know? so yeah it was it was a, a bit of a dance between the two of us and you know looking back on that stuff now i, I saw some footage you know of maybe like a couple of years back and I thought, oh my God, I'm terrible. But Laura still, <laughs> she's blowing me out of the water. But she's still, there's just something that she was naturally gifted. I yeah. Think that's what it was, you know. Yeah. So just going back then, just to the, just to the year before you, you sort of worked with Laura, Series 19, Wayne was in a lot, a lot more than he had, than he had been in his first series. You know, he, he went back to bullying and he was back to, you know, threatening Kevin, you know, making sure Kevin kept over the air going and was sort of trying to get him in trouble and all that. But but I think Wayne's main story in that series was with Poppy and victimising her and bullying her. And when you watch them at first, you think it's like a racist thing? Mm. Did, did you think it was a racist thing? No. Actually, no. surprisingly, I, ne- I never thought that. Um, I, I wasn't really at that point deciphering the scripts, you know, I was uh-huh. kind of the scripts were coming and I was like, cool, I've got some scenes. Yeah. Rather than, you know, thinking about the meaning. And and Aisha, again, she she's a remarkable young lady. Um, yeah. and we were so close, you know. I yeah. uh, again I just love being in her company and we always had such a laugh. So it never really felt like um we were doing anything other than acting you know uh-huh. uh, reading those scripts yeah um i think though like in my personal life i was starting to get quite a lot of um hate from right. um you know from black guys at my school uh-huh. and stuff because they i think they genuinely believed it was a racist thing yeah um, so it's interesting what Grainshaw did then with uh, bringing lauren into the yeah into that that's particular storyline uh-huh. and she was the one who managed to kind of get to the bottom of what was going on and diffuse the situation yeah and i think it was kind of clever writing from their part to show that wayne you know I, he wasn't he was he was misunderstood he was an attention seeker um and he had you know troubled home life yeah definitely. i think to be honest with you i you know personally speaking as well i i absolutely fancy the pants off of aisha Right. Okay. Um, and I think that you know when you're when you're um, younger as well, you know that's the, the boys kind of play that way yeah. with girls they like, don't they? Yeah. So I think there's there's probably a little bit of that in in that storyline as well. You know, he really he yeah. had feelings for her that he couldn't you know properly articulate, but he's yeah. still a hor- horrible little sod to her. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, the thing is as well, I guess I said, like, at a face, you think it might be a racist thing, but in one of the scenes, Wayne actually says to Poppy, um, she says, why are you doing this to me? And he says, because you're a victim and you'll always be a victim. So it was like he was just doing it because he could. But then, as you've just said there, he had a, a, a troubled home life, didn't he? And it became a bit apparent that he was taking his anger out on Poppy because he couldn't take it out on his brother. Because yeah. his, his brother would have battered them, wouldn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there, there was jealousy there as well from Wayne's from Wayne's yeah. point of view. You know, he was, he was a little bit jealous of Poppy and the fact that she was um, able to be so academic and yeah. you know liked. I think. Uh-huh. So you've mentioned there the fact that Eddie Marson plays your brother. Did you have any idea that he was going to go off and, and have, have this career that he's had? Yeah. So. Um, 
we, we were always excited whenever they brought in a family member right on grain chill because we were like who's going to play my mum who's going to play my brother or you know uh-huh. my aunt or whatever it was so when um when eddie came in he at this point he was you know he'd, he'd done a handful of uh, different jobs i think uh-huh. um but he kept himself to himself very much so um yeah. i think we rehearsed a few bits but i i was also like this this guy he doesn't look anything like me yeah. you know um <laughs> What's, what's the deal here? Like, couldn't they yeah. have got a, a really handsome, you know, older brother? Yeah. Again, it was it was all ego, you know. I was thinking yeah. of, about things from a different kind of view. But um, I, I love the fact that he is as successful as he is because I'm always telling people, that's my brother. That's my brother. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Um, but, yeah, he's, I mean, he's gone from strength to strength and he's such a, a, a fantastic actor, you know. Yeah, yeah. What was it, what was it like to work with him? It was good. I mean, he was, um, we, we didn't do a lot of, you know, uh, bonding because right. we didn't, you know, it wasn't required of, of that character relationship. Uh-huh. So he was quite intense. But at that point in time, I think I was quite an intense young actor yeah. as well. So you <laughs> right. know, we, both had a, we both had our levels of intensity and we kind of, we, we kept ourselves to ourselves in that respect. Yeah. So um, I did see him a few years ago, actually, in Soho. Right. And we walked straight past each other and I was... I was about to stop him and say, Eddie, how are you doing? But I just knew he'd be like, who are you? So <laughs> I, I, I didn't bother. Oh. It would have been too much to explain. Yeah. And in general, though, how did you find the relationship between the kids and the adults? It was good, yeah. I mean, you know, as an adult now, I can only imagine what it must have been like for some of these <laughs> adults had to work with us because we were, we were a handful, you know? Yeah. Like I mentioned, a lot of egos, a lot of energy, a um, lot of hormones. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, they were very patient. And, and you know, when, when it came to doing a scene with somebody like Lee Corns or, you know, Sally Gahagan, Rachel yeah. Bell, Stuart Organ, you kind of just knew that we're, we're working now. These guys are professionals. So you kind of brought your A game. And I, I always remember whenever I did scenes with those guys, I would always try my hardest to impress them, you know, yeah. to show them that I was an actor as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's the way I kind of approached. And they, and like I said, they were very patient and I can only imagine what must've been going through their mind a lot of the time. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so CD's 20 then, which was your, your third year. You, were, you didn't seem to be in that one as much as you'd been in the year before was there any reason for that um i can't remember that what were the main storylines like was when obviously at, at the beginning you became a, a bullion counselor and oh, then okay yeah and then the end was towards the end was when they did the animal farm, animal farm yeah 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 um it might have been like my exam year I'm right not sh- i'm not sure to be honest with you yeah we might have been doing going through gcse's at that, that point was, in time. Uh, 97 that was is that the or, year that's... Or you would have filmed in 96, I, I imagine, like, so... Yeah. Was that the year of the, of the gun, or was that the previous year? That was the gun was the previous year, yeah. Yeah, because the gun stuff um, was... That was cut out on the reruns. Oh, um, right, it's okay. Yeah, because shortly after they aired that, there was the that tragedy in Dunblane. Oh, right, I see. And yeah. they went ahead and removed all of that footage. So when they showed, they were for a while they're doing reruns on bbc2 on sunday mornings uh-huh. they cut out all that footage so those episodes were like 10 minutes long some of them wow because they removed all the gun stuff but yeah i can't actually remember the bullying counselor year so much i think probably because i wasn't in it that much right. <laughs> i think they were introducing that's the year they introduced the double dare gang right and yeah 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 so yeah. they they had a lot of um moving parts i guess going on right you know a lot of different characters to introduce and uh yeah storylines to play out so uh-huh. um yeah. yeah i'm sure sure i would have wanted to have been a bit more yeah and then like and then the year after that then um series 21 was like i i you know i don't want to say your pinnacle but you were massively on the forefront with you know the the judy sean alec stuff and that for me was is Grain Jill again looking at another social issue with the knife crime 
Uh, Ruth, Ruth Carraway was on last time. She said, it's like Grange, you'll have a crystal ball to what big social issues were going to come out. And a knife crime is, is rife, isn't it? You know what I mean? But how was that for you? Was that like filming those scenes? Because obviously you really got to grips with your character there. Um, yeah, so I think one of the great things about Grange Hill was it always, always was um, at the forefront of... Uh, what was actually happening with kids uh-huh. at school? You know, it kept it real, and it's it's pretty upsetting that kids don't have anything like that yeah. in, in this day and age. Um, Stephen Andrews, who directed all the gun stuff, actually all the uh, the pellet gun stuff, he became yeah. a producer um, right. that year, and he had decided he wanted to go down that route, and he was really into like you know um, movies, and just particularly Tarantino was you know big at that time yeah. frame. Um, so he wanted to do something that was, you know, I guess, compelling and exciting. Sean, um, uh, Ian Robertson, who plays Sean, yeah. he again was a, you know, Sylvia Young with Laura. They were actually dating right. in real life at the time. And he had just done a movie called Small Faces. So again, he was coming off the success uh-huh. of that. And um, they were very excited about having Ian because, you know, he was a kind of a hot young thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it got kind of difficult quite early on because, you know, Laura and I, our relationship, because Laura lived about 10 minutes away from where I lived. Right. Where we grew up in the same town. We were, again, taking taxis to work together. So Laura and I were getting much closer uh-huh. because we were spending so much time together. And uh, her relationship with Ian then was kind of suffering a little bit. Right. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that, in retrospect, you know, I guess it kind of worked, mm-hmm. um, help, helped with, you know, the actual yeah. um, performances and stuff. But yeah, there was like, Ian was kind of ahead of his his um, time, you know, right. he's an old soul in a, in a young body. Yeah. So he, he was taking everything, you know, very seriously as an actor. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, he didn't really kind of slot into... Um, the, the rest of the cast, you know, right. he, he was more friendly actually with the, with the adult actors. Right. You know, he'd prefer to spend his time with them. And um, uh, yeah, he just, so initially Ian and I got on really well. Cause uh-huh. I think we, we have our birthdays like one day apart. I think I'm the 27th of May. I think he's the 28th. I remember going to see Jurassic park two, the lost <laughs> world with him. Right. Him and I went to see that super excited. Um, but then we quickly started to, you know, as, as the series went on, we, we kind of drifted apart and it's a bit of a regret of mine that we didn't, you know, like, um, well, I, it was probably my fault to be honest with you. Cause again, you know, being, being on that show for as long as I, I was at that point, huh. you, you get territorial. So whenever yeah. there's a new person who comes in, it's like a dog, you know, like sniffing around, like, Oh, they get yeah. all the best things. Like what, what's this guy doing? What's it What's you know? Um, so yeah, in retrospect, you know, I might not have been as, um, I guess accommodating with him, right. um, as I could have been, but it, it ended up working for the, the show. Yeah. And ironically to Tom Carey and I got on great, you know, yeah. got on like a house on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Would you, would you say that was your favorite sort of storyline then that one? Yeah, I'd say all the stuff I did with, you know, Laura um, yeah. was, was the best stuff I did on the show, yeah. Yeah. And then and then also, like, at, uh, you know, at the end there, I'm not jumping ahead too much, but I did get to work with um, Aiden. Uh-huh. And, you know, we had always joked because they kept us apart. Right. <laughs> we had, like, two two scenes together, I think, in the first year that I joined. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, in the final year, they finally kind of... Uh, they put us together. So that was, that was always good. Yeah. Obviously there was Judy's death on the show and that the, the, your next series, then series 22 was more about you sort of trying to deal with that a bit more and, and coping with it, obviously blaming Alec for it and pick it in the cafe and, and then I'm vandalizing it outside. So Wayne was, you know, he'd always been an angry young man, hadn't he? He's, and, he's a hothead. That's yeah. what we call him in America. He's a hothead. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I think Laura had sort of got sort of calmed her down a lot, hadn't she? Do you know what I mean? So obviously, obviously Judy, sorry, what when when the character wasn't there, obviously, you know, Wayne was the character that he needed someone to blame, didn't he? 
he did. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't big on taking responsibility for yeah. his own actions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. In in real life, Laura, who was with Sylvie Young, um, had decided to leave the show. Right. Um, because you know she she's being offered a lot of like different opportunities. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people wanted her, and I remember being gutted about it. Right. I was like, I didn't want her to go at all because uh-huh. you know I was just we were we were very close and you know just love being in a company um so yeah when they they wrote that you know the 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 falling out the window stuff you know it was um it was some challenging stuff to film yeah and you know it was upsetting to say goodbye to my friend um but i kind of knew as well that she was just going to go on to do great stuff yes and, and so in that respect it was like it was bittersweet i guess right yeah Yes, yeah. the second year of Grain Chill, I had um, auditioned for the Famous Five. They did a reboot right. of the Famous Five, and they had myself and my sister um, Sarah uh-huh. um, under consideration. They brought us back for um, tests in in London, and they were very interested in in having me for the Famous Five. I I knew that I wouldn't be able to do Grain Chill and the Famous Five. Right. And I was, I just didn't want to do it. So that final audition, I remember being like, just very moody and very like distant. Um, and yeah, funnily enough, the, the Jemima who starred in the Famous Five, Jemima Roper, I'd worked with her just before I did Grain Chill. We did a right. movie for the children's film unit called The Higher Mortals. Uh-huh. So I was very close there. So it just goes to show what a, a small yeah. world it all is. Because I remember when I seen the Famous Five, I was like, oh, could have been working with Jemima. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been good fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you kind of, I, I understood, that, you know, some of the better agents at the time were kind of saying to their clients, don't spend too long in Grange Hill. Oh, right. Okay. Because, you know, you might end up getting typecast. It might not be good for your career. Yeah. And I think like Laura's agents were savvy enough to recognize that, she had a lot of uh-huh. potential for other stuff. So yeah, that's yeah. why she moved on. Um, and then, d- you know, that that whole year, I think it was, a, again, you know, I'd reached, as you said, like the pinnacle of, of storylines. I'd done uh-huh. like, the best stuff. So all that other stuff kind of felt like, really, you know? Right, so get yeah, Planes, yeah. helping homeless people now. Like what's... Yeah. What's just, yeah. It, was all, it was all a bit strange. Yeah, because... It- Wayne then became friends with Sarah Jane, mm-hmm. and we—it's this one. This storyline sort of hark back a little bit to like the the zenith of Grange Hill with a drug storyline with Sarah Jane. I mean, it was nowhere near the scale of of just say no. But Wayne became—you know—we realised sort of Sarah Jane was becoming addicted to the antidepressants, didn't he? And um, he said he'd help her with it. But what what I noticed about that was. It was unusual in the sense that that story came out sort of towards the end of a, of the series when normally uh, that storyline would have been getting wrapped up, wouldn't it, uh, at that time? And it was it carried over into the next series, which didn't always happen, did it, with Granger? You know, there was a, a, the occasional time, but... Yeah, they had kind of a cliffhanger there, didn't they? Yeah. Um... Yeah, and like Laura and I, you know, uh, Laura Hammett and I uh-huh. had, uh, you know, been together from the start. You know, she uh-huh. was in in my year, so we were very close as well. And um, she was just, she's a very funny young lady. If you get a chance to talk to her, she's a yeah. quite a character, and she's got plenty of stories to tell. But yeah, working with her was um, was a lot of fun, and we, we did something in a cave, if I remember right. Yeah, the there. outward bound. Yeah, Outward Bounds Cave and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I haven't thought about this stuff in so long. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm just stunned that this day and age they really don't have anything for kids that tells it like it is. Yeah, keeps it real. You know, yeah. I mean, as a parent myself now, there is this um, instinct to protect your child. Yeah, um, and. I think, you know, out here in the States, they talk about helicopter parenting a lot. I I remember growing up that Grain Shield was a bit risque, a bit taboo, a bit bit naughty, you know? Yeah. But my mum never stopped me from watching it. I think she she understood the value of it. Yeah. Um, Because the the things that we learned from watching 
our peers, other kids definitely going through very traumatic things like death and stuff and um, drug addiction, uh, violence. You, 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 people are resilient, you know, especially yeah. children. They're resilient. They take yeah. it in and they accept it for what it is. And, and then they're more able to deal with it. I don't feel like there's anything like that in this day and age for kids. No. No, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say there was. So moving on to your last series then, you know, you were well into sixth form by this, this stage and you formed a band with, yeah. <laughs> with Arnie. So we still, to this day, we write songs. We've always been writing right. songs. Um, I play guitar and I, you know, I love writing songs. I just love So you it. were really playing guitar then, were you? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. all. Yeah, and, and the song was the song that Aidan and I wrote. Um oh, it's called same old story um we we at that point had a bit of control in our storylines because we right. were very friendly with the producers and the writers and we yeah. were able to kind of direct them for where we wanted to go um we didn't know that they would like literally i think two days before we were set to film the big concert uh-huh. they were like so where's where's the song have you got the song and we're like sorry I mean, I thought, <laughs> thought you guys were going to help us, you know, make that come to life. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we better book a recording studio. So we literally had two days to record that song. Right. And not everybody was on the same page about what the song was. Right, okay. Because um, Aiden and I had a very, like, if you hear the version that Aiden and I do of that song, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's kind of unique, you know, and it's, yeah. it's definitely not what it was. Right. Um, I guess we were having, you know, delusions of being the next Ant and Deck or something. <laughs> right, okay. It, it did seem to be, you know, like, oh, if we do a song and we get it on TV, that could be, you know, yeah. a launching pad for our uh, career as musicians. But alas, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> so then, your time at Grange Hill uh, comes to an end. 90 or so episodes later, you left Grange Hill. So what, what did you do then? Um, just kind of bummed around. <laughs> right, okay. No, I um. So after leaving Grange Hill, the year before I left, I got a little part in EastEnders. Right. Um, that was a big regret for me because I think what happened with that is my agent then told the producers of Grange Hill that I wasn't coming back because right. I booked EastEnders, uh-huh. and I was pretty annoyed with them because this wasn't something we discussed. And it just so happens that the producers of EastEnders, the people who got me in on that show, used to work on Grain Chill. Everybody uh-huh. knew each other because of Elstree. Right. So my brief appearance on EastEnders, which ended with me saying, I'll be in touch, as if I was going to be a recurring character, yeah. um, it, it ended up with me having to go back to Grain Chill with my tail in between my legs saying, oh, right. I'm come back. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, after that, I actually... Um, I booked a commercial campaign, which was uh, of Darren and Lisa, and it's for Comfort Fabric Softener. Oh, right. So I don't know if you remember these characters, but they were like little dolls made out of cloth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I ended up doing the voice of Darren for that. Oh, right. So I was like, oh, Lisa, you're so soft. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, and we did, you know, that ran for like six years or something. They did uh-huh. radio campaigns. So that kept me busy. And then it, it became like a hustle because... I wasn't a um, weird transitional. Even now, I don't look my age. I'm 40. I'm going to be 41 this year. Right. But when I, I don't think I look 41. No, um, so, no you don't. <laughs> you really <famous>. don't. <laughs> but I was in a weird transitional phase there for a long time where I couldn't play too old, couldn't play too young. Um, and I just, it, it became increasingly difficult to get auditions and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if like Grange Hill had a, had anything to do with that right. I, I doubt it i mean i did do uh, a lot of the other work that i did like episodes of hope and glory with uh, lenny henry uh-huh. which is something i'm very proud of um you know i think i do a half decent performance in that yeah. particular episode but that was whilst i was doing grange hill right um so after leaving grange hill i just yeah it, it became difficult it became tough to to get auditions um i ended up doing a lot of extra work Oh, right. Okay. I just love being on film sets. Yeah. And I love being around it. 
Yeah. And if I can get paid to sit there, <laughs> read a book and eat some food and then, you know, spend five minutes on set with Steve Coogan or um, yeah. Christopher Nolan or Ridley Scott, you know, cause I did, I worked on some of these yeah. huge productions and um, you learn a lot from, from just being in that environment. Uh-huh. So yeah, I, I did a lot of extra work before I ended up moving out to Los Angeles. Right. So then moving out then to Los Angeles, how did, how, how did that happen? It was a girl. So right. yeah, the girl I was dating in the UK um, said, she's also from England. She was like, I'm going to go and try my luck in LA. You know, there's a, there's a good industry out there for acting and stuff. And I'd never been before. So we together, she had been like four or five times visiting and doing classes and stuff. And I decided that, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose her. So um, I was going to go with her and we moved out here together. I'd never been before. And yeah, that was uh, 12 years ago now. Right. So she's, she's now my wife and we right. have two little American babies. So <laughs> excellent. excellent. It worked out good. So you moved out to, to LA. Is that when you made Over the Hill? Yeah, so in I think a year after moving here, Aiden was like, I'm coming out to visit. I was like, yeah, you are. Come on, let's yeah. do this. So we came out here and Aiden and I, you know, we've been making short movies for, uh-huh. I mean, since, since Grange Hill. Funnily enough, Aiden and I did not get along. Oh, right. When we first met. Yeah. And I, so I was like 12, 13 years old. Uh-huh. I had a crush on Jenny Long. Right. Um, and I asked her out. And we never went out, we never dated or anything, but you know, for like a week, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Right. <laughs> um, until Aiden phoned me to tell me that she didn't want to go out with me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how Aiden and I bonded with right. this, um, uh, with him dumping me on Jenny Long's <laughs> That's a, a proper kid stuff, that isn't it? That's a proper kid's relationship, that one, like. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, and then we just became close. We'd hang out most weekends and we'd always make movies right. um, on camcorders. We, we had little action men, you know, like oh, right. Star Wars toys. Yeah, and we yeah, had yeah. Basically our own mini Hollywood. So we'd make movies with those figures. And then we'd make films with us as well. Um, so we'd already done a whole bunch of them. And uh, when he came out to visit, I was like, look, we have to utilize this time. We have to yeah. do something creative. And it just so happens... Uh, Charlie Parker Swift, yeah, also known as John Hudson, also known as Lawrence. He's got so many different names. <laughs> but yeah, John and I had, uh, Charlie and I had um, grown up in High Wycombe together and, right. and gone to the uh, same drama school. He was living out here uh-huh. and we got him involved and we just decided, you know what, it'd be fun to do um, kind of a, a, a Spinal Tap style mockumentary um, based on ourselves, yeah. you know, egotistical young actors trying to make it in Hollywood. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's basically how it came about. We uh, we took a road trip to Vegas, and um, you know, the, <laughs> um, the, we we got some footage there, and yeah, yeah, we we had a good laugh making it. Actually, it was, I, it was... I I love Over the Hill, honestly. Like when when I knew you were coming on, I watched it again the other day, and you know what? I love it because. You, you just take the myth out of yourself and everyone you come in contact with as well. I, like, I absolutely loved it as well. And I just think your character in it is, is brilliant as well. Like, because it's so Thank far, it, it's so far removed from you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, that's the other thing. I'm not sure we could do that in this day and age where, yeah. you know, everybody's very sensitive to, you know, cultural appropriation and uh-huh. you know, actual gay actors playing gay yeah. roles and stuff. I, I, decided to play myself as gay because it wouldn't have worked if Aiden and I were just two egotistical actors. Uh-huh. You know, you had to have that juxtaposition for the comedic purposes, basically. Yeah. So I decided to play it very over the top. Yeah. Um, <laughs> gay version of myself. And it, it comes across really, really, really <laughs> well as well. So, so there's another film that I wanted to talk to you about because I watched this, I watched this a while back actually. It was it, Kieran, the Demon Hunter. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I showed that to my brother-in-law actually um last week uh or a couple of weeks back he was staying with us over Christmas time and um his uh, my wife his sister's in it as well. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, so I I met after moving out here a gentleman named An- Andy McKenzie, and he was a, just an independent filmmaker. Uh, he was really passionate about not only film but music as well. Yeah, because um, he used to be a music producer, and he auditioned me on the street. Right. With with my guitar, I remember he was like, "Oh, you brought a guitar along because it was for a different movie. It's something called the OG Girls." And um, yeah, I I remember playing guitar to random people on the street, and he was like, "You, I'm hiring you." So he would right. literally pay us each day, cash in hand. For I'm probably shouldn't say that, uh, <laughs> but um, for uh, for for these movies, and we shot a whole bunch of them with him. And yeah, Kieran was the one that I. Uh, I was really excited about because I'm a huge horror movie fan. Great. I, I, um, I helped develop a company out here called Mad Monster uh-huh. and um, they're still going strong. They do these conventions across the country. Um, so, you know, like the, the Exorcist, for example, even though it's not, it's not considered a horror movie by its director, who yeah. considers it a movie about faith, <laughs> but it's, it's one of my uh, all time favorite movies you know right. i think it's a remarkable film um so you playing a priest demon hunter who you know expels demons by sucking them out of people's mouths and puts them in bottles like like a genie it was a very unique concept I, i'm not sure the execution was was so great but he was literally one man on his own filming wow um, yeah. on the street with a camera you know and he, he always paid us he always took good care of us and and took us out for food and stuff um so yeah it was a great time filming but yeah the, the movie itself is a little, <laughs> little yeah. bit strange so you've just mentioned the exorcist mm-hmm. uh, can i ask you about william freakin yeah absolutely <laughs> so i know that you've got a particular story about william freakin that maybe you didn't know i i knew about i didn't know you knew i mean i've got a few stories about william freakin <laughs> so <laughs> the one i've heard about is you were working in the chinese theater Mm-hmm. And there was a you put the there was a showing of The Exorcist, and William Friedkin had turned off. Yeah, I mean he's <laughs> he's a, a, a fascinating guy. He's a force of nature. Um, he was invited actually. Where right. Linda Blair and William Friedkin were invited to that particular screening, fortieth for the fortieth anniversary. Um, he, Linda Blair showed up really late. Right unprofessionally <laughs> right and he was not happy about that for right, starters because okay. he kind of came out for her it was supporting oh, a, cha- yeah. a charity of hers she does a lot of work with um uh, dogs uh-huh. so he wasn't too happy about that and um yeah this particular screening he he was ex- incredibly fussy about uh, the way that the movie was presented mm-hmm. so there was a particular guy at uh Warner Brothers uh, called um, Ned Price, who represented William Freakin's, um, you know, uh, vision for how he wanted the, the uh-huh. movie to be displayed. And so I, I was in talks with Ned Price as well as William, um, who, who, you know, Billy said, if Ned Price signs off on it, then we'll do it. Uh-huh. And Ned Price did. He signed off on it. And he came along and he watched. So I always do my... I, I would do my Q and A's before the movie. Right. Um, and he stuck around after the Q and A to watch the movie on the screen. Yeah. Um, just the first few minutes. And he was furious. Right. And, and he was saying that is not, and I was like, this is what Ned Price signed off on. And he's like, no, 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 that is not correct. It shouldn't be like um, displayed like that. I think it was something to do with the blacks being too uh, dark. Right. Or not being or not being dark enough. In the end, we're, we're, I've worked at the Chinese theatre for a, like I still work there. Um, oh, right. Part time. I've worked there for yeah over a decade now. We have a projectionist there. He's um is a, a fascinating guy. Uh, he's he's really really talented. Um, he came down. And he explained to William Freakin what the what the issue was. And I remember William Freakin was there writing down the napkins like this, 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 and this. And it all became clear to him. And he was like, to our projection, he was like, you, you, you should, you should be working for me, basically. Right. Um, but yeah, he's, 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 um, he's a, he's pretty terrifying. He's basically like, um, he's like a really intelligent Donald Trump. All right. Okay. With the, with the way he speaks, because he's from New York. Um, but he is just encyclopedic when it comes to movies. Yeah. Yeah. really i mean he knows you you 
he knows his stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, just to be around someone like him um, uh -huh. is just, yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of special. Brilliant, brilliant. And then the other thing I was told to ask you about was Corey is this Ch Charlie Corey Parker Swift. <laughs> was, was Corey Feldman? Yeah, so Corey Feldman, he's a, he's a character. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been really lucky, like, with living out here in L.A., um, I remember the first few months we were living out here, all the stories I had heard were like, oh, yeah, when you move to L.A., you'll see like a celebrity in your, you know, your local shopping store. Yeah. And we had lived out here for about five months. And I hadn't seen anyone. Yeah. And um, then one day I went to a coffee shop and in the space of like five minutes, I saw like, I think three or four massive stars, <laughs> Rosario Dawson and um, oh, what's that channel's name? Um uh, Richard Lewis, who's quite a well-known comedian, is in Curb Your Enthusiasm, and um, but uh, yeah, I then started working with Mad Monster, right? And we put on these conventions, and they would basically invite all these um, horror um, actors to um, come along and sign for people and do Q and As. In fact, they got one coming up in a couple of weeks, maybe at the end of next week. So Nev Campbell's going to be there right. and you know, a whole bunch of other people. But Corey was, um, initially I contacted Corey to come out for a Lost Boys screening. Right. For um, anniversary screening of the film. And I contacted him on Facebook actually. And, oh, you right. know, we, we spoke for, for a long time um, and he eventually agreed to do it for a price. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he did tell me to like, don't, don't let my manager know. Don't let him know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, we, we got him out for the screening, but he was, uh, Corey Feldman showed up yeah. dressed like Michael Jackson <laughs> with an entourage and he phoned me from the parking lot and he was like, where are you, man? All these people are looking at me. Can you come and, can you come and help me? So I was like, yeah, Corey, I'll be, I'll be right there. I went and found him and he's wearing like a, a white kind of suit with mirrors all over it <laughs> and sunglasses. And I'm like, are you, are you wondering why people are looking at you? Yeah. So two massive bodyguards on either side of him. Um, but yeah, he's, he's quite, he's quite the character, you know, he, he lives in his own yeah. planet, Corey's world. But yeah, I've, I've encountered him a few times over the years. And again, yeah. he never remembers who I am, but. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you, you've touched on it a little bit, but what, what do you, what do you actually do now? I, I just hustle, you know, I'm yeah, hustling right. on a day to day. Um, I, I do a lot of writing, uh -huh. um i've got a couple of projects you know that we're, we're trying to get um financed and produced so there's a british gangster film that i've written right. which um yeah hopefully in the next few years we'll we'll go into production on that it's uh it's kind of a unique it's like a shakespearean tragedy basically i wanted to do a british gangster film that didn't have any uh, bad language right whenever okay. you watch a british gangster film it's always like, yeah. F this, F that. yeah um so i thought well let's do something that's more like only fools and horses you know the type of um the rhythm of the dialogues that i used to hear uh -huh. growing up uh -huh. um, so i wanted to first of all take out all the bad language and i wanted the, the women in the, the the plot to be like the, the kind of power figures uh -huh. um and yeah i've ended up with something that's kind of cool i'm i'm excited about it it's called street lies right um so yeah if anyone's listening they want to uh, get involved with that can contact me um and then i've got another screenplay as well uh, called outrun the sun so i did a lot of writing um i still act you know when the the opportunity yeah. arises um uh, there was a movie that i shot a couple of years ago called synced i play an american in it actually but it's a british director uh -huh. and he's an award-winning director he did a um a short movie called two minute time machine which is really really good so i have a two minute or one minute time machine uh -huh. um but he, we shot this like five years ago and he's still, so I'm hoping I make the final cut because there'll, right. <laughs> there'll be some good stuff in there. But yeah, it's just like, other than that, you know, my wife, she's a makeup artist. Um, so, you know, we, we hustle in between um, being parents, stay at home parents. Um, and yeah, work at the China, I've worked at the Chinese theater as a tour guide for 10 years. Right. And I'm really lucky there because they allow me to come and go as I want, basically. Well, right, okay. And I have, I have like freedom to do what I like. So, you know, I can, you know, for instance, I want to go in tomorrow and do some tours, I can do. Um, 
And it's a very cool place to work because I also, if I want, I can go to some of the, you know, the biggest premieres. Yeah, I was going to ask you that <laughs> if you've got any sway on getting them into them. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I can't, I can't go to them, you know. Yeah. Um, I will work them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'll, I'll sweep up popcorn around my right. Robbie's okay. feet. <laughs> and that's what I did. You know, I, the, the last, I don't tend to do it so much anymore because you get a little bit jaded right. when you work um, a lot of these events. Um, but the premiere for once upon a time in Hollywood yeah. a few years back, I was like, I'm working this 100%. And that was probably out of all the ones I've worked, that was probably the most impressive because everybody was there that night. Yeah. I saw Britney Spears and Chris Hemsworth, and, you know, literally every time I looked up, I was face to face with a new movie star. Wow. Um, yeah. And I actually watched the movie in the room with all those guys that night. So uh, that was very cool. Yeah, oh, brilliant. So then just a, a few questions just to finish off, Peter. Mm-hmm. Just going back to your days on, on Grange Hill, other than uh, Wayne Sutcliffe, who was your favourite character on the show? Well, I mean, I guess like Ziggy and Robbie, you know, watching yeah. those guys, they were a you know, huge influence on a, on a young man. Um, Tegs as well. Sean yeah. McGuire, funnily enough, he lives, he lives around the corner from me. So All right. <laughs> I, I was in, uh, there's a, sh- a shopping, um, uh, I, I'm always trying to use American terms when I realise that I'm speaking to a Brit. <laughs> I don't want you guys taking the mick out of me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a shop called Trader Joe's and it's basically a grocery store. Um, but I was in Trader Joe's and I, I saw this guy with his two kids. I heard the accent. I was like, Sean Maguire. So I, I couldn't not go up and no. speak to him. So I went and introduced myself and I was like, I was in Grange Hill a few years below you. And he was really, really uh, nice and, and cool about it. And his kids are, yeah. you know, not too far off my kids. Um, and we spoke about the chaperones because they would always, they would always talk about Sean. As, oh, like right. the, as the the beacon of, you know, light of the, the, the person we should um, look up to, because I guess he's just a very humble kind of down to earth uh-huh. guy. Yeah. Um, one of their catchphrases, the chaperones was like always, you've changed, but not for the better. <laughs> so they like to keep us, you know, really yeah. grounded. Um, yeah. So I mentioned the chaperones to him. And then weirdly enough, like three days later, I was out walking the neighborhood with my wife and we bump into him and his wife and the kids. And yeah, they're literally around the corner. I haven't seen him since. Right. Um, but yeah, like him and uh, you know Rachel Victoria Roberts, that yeah. that, that era was you know kind of most influential for me. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to have? Do you want to say something? You got something to say? I'll just say for anyone that's listening, um, Peter's done this entire interview with his <laughs> with his daughter on his shoulder. <laughs> She's been bored stiff listening to her daddy run on about his past. Yeah. Um, so that. <laughs> If you couldn't have played Wayne Sutcliffe, which other character would you like to have played? Oh, well, you know what? I, I, I still, to this day, would love to have been Sam. Right. You know, because I would have worked with Aiden quite early on. Yeah. And also, like, so Kevin was a force of nature, and he is yeah. a force of nature. He, um, I think, he, he proudly says he was the only person to get expelled from Wayne <laughs> yeah. And he, he was, he was kind of let go because he was just, you know, he was a, he was a little hurricane. Um, so it would have been interesting, I guess, to see if I had played Sam, yeah. how that character would have progressed and, you know, what would have happened to Wayne and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, um, I, I guess that would be the answer because that was the yeah. one that got away, right? Yeah, I was going to say that was the one you were upset about not getting, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then. So the, my final question then. Why do you think there's still such affection for Grange Hill? Um, what Phil Redman created was unique. You know, it's yeah. unique in the annals of TV history. It's never been repeated. Um, yeah. You know, for all its controversies, you know, we were speaking about this earlier. It was actually providing a service. Yeah. You know, it was. I, I got so many messages from people after the bullying storyline like fan letters i'm sure there's a lot of letters that weren't sent to me as well. <laughs> right, okay. but you know people saying that you actually you helped me get through yeah. this and um i think that's why you know it kind of resonates with the people who knew about it uh-huh. um you know recently they announced they're going to do a grain chill movie or maybe yeah. like a revisit 
so it's been a long time coming you know mm -hmm. i think absolutely go back and let's look at what the kids are doing in this day and age in their school life and how you know social media affects them and how yeah uh, the uh, the conditioning of, of the world that they live in um, yeah. affects them in in their school life yeah um, i'm always fascinated you know my daughter's at school at the moment and uh i, I don't know what she does <laughs> you know, she, she comes back and i'm like so how the school today she's like good it's like I, because what of COVID, did, what did you do nothing exactly <laughs> like come on to give me more than that would you learn anything um so yeah we do, and as as um parents as well i think grain chill for the older people at the time it was an insight into right. what their kids could be getting into yeah so it gave them like a you know a little uh, a warning or things to look yeah. out for um and that's why you know there hasn't been anything like it since and there probably never will be because wow. you, you can't there's certain stuff you can't do or say anymore right yeah um so i think that's that's why it's special yeah and i'm very proud to be part of its history and i think you know neil you you were you're doing a fantastic job here i mean thank you very much no thank you man for for creating such a cool little podcast and you know giving people who are genuinely interested in in hearing about it uh, the opportunity to you know, listen to us rattle on about our glory days. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's been brilliant, Peter. It, it's been great having your take on, you know, what it was like being a member of the cast and, and your experiences and stuff. Yeah, it, it's been fantastic. So th thank you so much for coming on. And for anyone listening, I'll speak to you next time. Cheers. Thank you.